Good evening, guys. Please keep your Bible open there to John 6, and you'll see on your sermon outline how we'll be breaking up our passage today. There's lots in this passage, and we won't get to talk about all of it, but let's do our best now, and you can jot down any questions, extra questions you have on a feedback slip, and I'll get back to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you sent into our world to live, die, and rise again so that we might be forgiven and have life. Help us now to read his words and so be struck by them, convicted of them, and help us now to live in light of them as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anything more wonderful, more delicious than freshly baked bread? Who here doesn't like, is there there anyone in the world who doesn't love freshly baked bread? Don't put your hand up because you will be disowned by all of us. (laughs) Kidding. Uh, Freshly baked bread, that smell, no one wants to turn that down, do they? Unless we won't go there. Freshly baked bread is delicious. And whether it be, you know, the little soft rolls from the bakery, they're so good, or the flatbread from the fruit market. Or one of my favorites is the, uh, what are they called? German pretzels. So twisted and baked and covered in salt bread. That is the best kind of bread in my books. Bread is delicious. But not only is it delicious, it's also a staple in basically every country in the world. Think about it. Is there a country or a nation, a culture, where there isn't some kind of bread? Bread in some kind of form exists all over the world. So much so that in the Bible and many other cultures, bread has come to represent life. When a town, when a village, when a culture runs out of bread, pretty soon people starve. Maybe they even begin to die. Bread gives life. It's similar to water, isn't it? Bread and water, they're kind of like the two things that humanity needs to survive. And perhaps you notice some similarities in this passage to John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he offers her living water to quench her eternal thirst, to give her eternal life. So it's no surprise here that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Bread gives humanity to life, just as water does. And it's also no surprise that Jesus says this the very day after he's taken five loaves of bread and multiplied it to feed thousands and thousands of people. Let's shift our mind from dreaming about fresh, delicious bread, as good as that is. Let's think about the story so far. Last week, Kevin helpfully pointed out that this story, John chapter 6, it's actually one big, long story. But we're looking at it over three weeks. Last week, we saw the miraculous sign, Jesus fed the thousands with this bread. This week, we see Jesus' explanation of that event as he interacts with the crowd. And next week, we'll see the response of the disciples at the end of the chapter. Now, remember where we left off last week. After the miracle, when night came, the disciples left in the only boat that was there on the shore. 
And as they were on their way to Capernaum, they were stuck in a, in a storm. They couldn't get through the wind. Miraculously, Jesus comes walking on the water. Amazing. They're so terrified, they don't know what to do. And eventually, they do let him in the boat, and then off they go and arrive at Capernaum. That's where we left off. Now we arrive at our passage, beginning at verse 22. And it's no surprise what happens. There's almost this comedic game of hide and seek. Have a look there, verse 22 to 24. If you look over it, you'll see it's the very next day. The day after the miracle, the crowd wakes up in the morning and says, where's Jesus? They can't find him anywhere. They look, and he's nowhere to be found. They know the disciples have left to Capernaum, and so off they go looking for Jesus, thinking he must have walked around the lake to there. Then they find him when they arrive at the synagogue in Capernaum. And the crowd has a conversation with Jesus. They ask five questions of Jesus. And we'll have a look at those questions and Jesus' answers. And as, as we go, we'll ask our own questions of Jesus and what he's saying. We'll ask these two questions. Who is Jesus and what does he give? And the second one, how do we receive it? So you'll need your Bible open to follow along because Jesus decides to be cryptic, as usual. He keeps saying the same thing, but he says it in different ways. So let's start with questions 1 and 2, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, question 1, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're still a bit confused, aren't they, this crowd? They're like, Jesus, how did you get here so quickly? They have no idea that Jesus walked on the water and met his disciples in their boat. Now, how does Jesus respond? Well, he doesn't really, does he? He ignores their question and tells them exactly what they're thinking. Verse 26. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus sees right through them, and he's more than happy to point out their motivation. You're not here because of who I am. You're not here because I can work miracles. You're not here because of my teaching. You're here because I gave you bread, and you want more bread. But he doesn't leave it there, does he? He takes an opportunity to teach them, to correct them. Look at verse 27. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, the bread, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Already in our passage, Jesus starts to reveal who he is and what he gives. Who is Jesus? Who does he say he is? Here he says he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man who gives. First and foremost, Jesus in this passage is the one who gives, who has generous gifts to give people, wonderful, incredible, unimaginable gifts, if people will just respond to him rightly. Okay, what does he give? What is the gift that he gives? He gives food that lasts for eternal life. He's saying there's two kinds of food. There's food that perishes and food that doesn't. 
food that lasts for eternal life. He's saying you buy and grow physical food, and pretty soon it perishes, doesn't it? Or you eat physical food, and then pretty soon you're hungry again. I'm, almost, I'm probably pretty hungry right now. I'm sure you're thinking of Thai later on or something like that. You eat physical food, and it sustains your physical life, but pretty soon you're hungry again. Jesus is offering a different kind of food. He says, I, the Son of Man, will give you not physical food that gives you physical life, but spiritual food that gives you spiritual life, eternal life. He's saying that He is the one who will give you what you need for eternal life. Work for this food, He says. It's more important than the physical food you eat every day. This is who Jesus is and what He gives. But how do you receive it? How do you get this food that gives eternal life? Well, first the crowd responds. And it seems that they pick up on what Jesus says when he says the word work. So they ask, verse 28, question 2. What can we do to perform the works of God? They know Jesus is a teacher, and so they ask him, what are the things we need to do to work for God, to live for him? Now, Jesus' reply is striking. And it's striking because he doesn't say, here are the works of God, let me list them out for you. He says, verse 29, this is the work of God. Singular. There's only one work of God according to Jesus here. What is it? Look at the verse again, 29. This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. He doesn't list out the commands here. The work of God here is first and foremost, above all else, to simply believe in the one God has sent. To believe in Jesus. The one sent by the Father to give spiritual food for eternal life. So Jesus continues to build this picture He's the one who gives you what you need for eternal life. And how do you receive it? What work do you do? You believe. You believe in the one sent by God. That's who Jesus is. That's what he gives. That's how we receive it. But the crowd are not done yet. How does the crowd respond to this statement? Let's tackle the next part of the passage. The crowd asks two more questions, number three and number four. So we see question 3 in verse 30. Have a look there. They say, What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you? They say, Okay, Jesus, you've told us you're sent from God. Okay, you've told us we need to believe in you. What miracle will you do to prove that you're worth listening to, worth believing in? And then they add this other little stabbing comment. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're saying, who are you? Who are you to say these things about yourself? Who do you think you are? Are you better than Moses? Moses gave us bread from heaven. He gave our ancestors manna from heaven so they could eat and not die in the wilderness. That's why we read Exodus before. That's what we saw there. 
And I think they're also saying, Jesus, do you have any bread for us, please? Moses gave them manna in the desert. What do you have to give us, Jesus? We want bread. Check out Jesus' response in verse 32. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. It was God. That's his first point. But secondly, my Father gives you real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus continues to build his point. God gave the Israelites bread from heaven. Yes, God gave them bread so they could eat and live, the manna on the ground. But my father, Jesus says, my father has different bread. Bread from heaven, real bread, better than the manna that your ancestors ate. This bread will give life to the world. And it's at this point the crowd starts to get excited. Look at verse 34. They say, Sir, give us this bread always. Doesn't that sound like the woman at the well that Jesus met? Jesus offered her living water. She said, you don't have a bucket. He said, no, I've really got living water. And she said, give it to me now. I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well. The crowd here is the same. They say, you've got bread from heaven for us bring it on sounds good they're just thinking about physical bread aren't they they get excited they're getting ready they think jesus is actually going to give them what they came for they're licking their lips they can smell the fresh bread smell in the air almost and then verse 35 comes this i am the bread of life jesus told them you want bread? I'll give you bread. It's me, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I think these words would have come as a bit of an anticlimax for the crowd, don't you? Oh, you're not actually going to give us bread? Oh, okay. But what Jesus is saying here is actually far better than what the crowd is seeking. What Jesus is saying is incredible and far better than what they wanted, what they came to him for. Because Jesus is telling us who he is and what he gives. Who is Jesus? He is the bread of life. He says, I'm the eternal word. I'm God in the flesh. I've come from heaven, from the Father. Why? To give eternal life. To be spiritual food bread that gives eternal life to people he goes on and tells us more look at verses 35 down to 40 just look over it verse 35 he says i'm the one who satisfies your spiritual hunger and thirst i give spiritual food and drink verse 39 and 40 i give eternal life he tells us and he tells us what it is he says it twice i will raise them up on the last day. Jesus is the one who will raise the dead on the last day and give eternal life to his people. You can kind of imagine, can't you, that the crowd started just frowning a little bit. Just 
asking questions on the inside. Is this man insane? Is he crazy? This man says he is bread. Bread from heaven. We, we're so used to these words, aren't we? We're so used to thinking Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I give eternal life. Good. We know that. Great. But the crowd, imagine what they would have been thinking. In fact, you don't have to imagine because they ask their fourth question and we see what they're thinking. Verse 41, they start grumbling and complaining. Does that sound familiar? Israel in the wilderness with Moses. And then verse 42, they ask the question, don't we know where this guy came from? We know his parents, Mary and Joseph. How can he say that he came down from heaven? Who do you think you are, Jesus? And so they don't believe in him. Nothing has changed since the Exodus. Their hearts are still hard to God, to Jesus, the one sent by God. And so for the next few verses, Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes them. He rebukes them and he restates his point. We can see it most clearly in verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, the Israelites, they ate manna, the bread in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Who is Jesus? What does he give? Yet again, he is the bread of life, the spiritual food that gives eternal life. On the last day, he will raise people from the dead. His people. And they will never face death again. We haven't really answered the question yet, have we? How do we receive this gift? How do we receive the gift Jesus gives eternal life that he is offering? Well, I'm afraid to say that it's actually a little bit disturbing. Did you see it when we read it before? Verse 50 and 51. He's been talking about that he is the bread of life. But what do you do with bread? You eat it, don't you? Hope you do. Bread's delicious. And so Jesus begins to say something quite disturbing. Verse 51, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He said, I am the bread from heaven, but now he says, you must eat me. You must eat my flesh in order to have eternal life. And so the crowd asks their fifth question. We'll wrestle with this part of the passage, this last part, starting at verse 52. Question five, and it's not surprising. They ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can this be so? Jesus, that is disgusting. That is disturbing. Now, I don't think it's hard to understand how horrible the Jews found this idea. We too, I assume, struggle with the idea of eating human flesh. For the Jews, this would have disgusted them. The law was clear that every human life was valuable and to be protected, right? You can't just kill and eat a person. And they had reckoning laws for when people's bodies were damaged or injured, 
they had to be recompensed, paid. And human flesh never once comes up on a list of clean, edible foods for the Israelites. Not once. Eating human flesh, this idea would have disgusted them, disturbed them deeply. And in fact, whenever cannibalism comes up in the Old Testament, and it does, every time it happens, it's an awful tragedy. It's something that happens in awful, desperate circumstances. It's always regrettable. But Jesus says here, eat my flesh. In fact, he makes it even more vivid. Look at verse 54. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, which was clearly forbidden in the law, has eternal life. Verse 55, because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Jesus is being intentionally provocative here, isn't he? He's going out of his way to shock the crowd. He wants to snap them out of their unbelief so that they cannot hunger for physical bread, so that they can see something truly amazing. So what is Jesus saying here? Why does he use this vivid, disturbing image, eating flesh, drinking blood? He's yet again showing us who he is and what he gives. Who is Jesus? What does he give? He's the one who gives his flesh and blood. Do you remember verse 51? The bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's talking about the cross, isn't he? He's pointing forward to the time when his flesh would be given, when his flesh would be torn and beaten, when his blood would be spilled And he would be hung on a cross. Why? For the life of the world. Do you see what he's saying? The bread that gives eternal life, the food that sustains us spiritually is what? Jesus' death for us. His sin-bearing death is what gives us life. The wages of sin is death. His death pays for our sin, bears God's wrath. And so now there is forgiveness and peace with God, and we have life. His death gives us life. It's what sustains us. It is our spiritual food. And can you see how Jesus is talking about God's immeasurable grace in this passage and all throughout it? He sent His Son to die for us. Jesus gave his life, his flesh, so that we might have eternal life. So that we might be raised on the last day. God is gracious. And Jesus' words here tell us that. But the question still remains, what does it mean to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? How do we receive this gift? How do we consume that spiritual food, eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? Now, many people over the years have said that Jesus' words here point forward to the Lord's Supper or communion. Some denominations have said that this passage teaches that unless you take the Lord's Supper, unless you eat the bread and drink the wine, you cannot be saved. 
Because Jesus says, you must eat his flesh, drink his blood, and when you take the Lord's Supper, that is what you are doing. Eating the blood of Jesus, eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking his blood. Does the passage say that? No, it doesn't, does it? I can't see anywhere where it says, and you will do this ritual one day where you will eat Jesus' flesh and you will drink his blood. Jesus here is not pointing forward to the ritual of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not our spiritual food. He's pointing forward to his death, which is our spiritual food. If anything, the Lord's Supper is simply another pointer to the death of Jesus, our spiritual food. It's another reminder that Jesus died for us, and that is how we have life. Taking the Lord's Supper is not what Jesus means when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. So, what does he mean? Well, this is where the rest of the passage really helps us. Because Jesus says what he means throughout the passage. And if we compare a few verses, it really helps us. So think back to what we've seen. In verse 29, what was the work of God? To believe in the one he has sent. And verse 40, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 47, I assure you, Jesus says, anyone who believes has eternal life. Okay, look at verse 54 again. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Do you see the similarity and the difference? Believing in Jesus gives you eternal life. Eating Jesus' flesh, drinking his blood gives you eternal life. What do we conclude? That they are actually one and the same. To eat Jesus' flesh, to drink his blood, is to believe in him. Particularly to believe in his sacrificial death for us. How do you receive the eternal life Jesus gives you? You must believe in him. That is eating his flesh, that is drinking his blood, that is the consistent testimony of the scriptures from beginning to end. And I hope you realize just how striking that is. Just how undeserving we are and just how gracious and compassionate and loving our God is. His amazing grace to us is this, that if we simply believe, we have eternal life. If we believe in His Son, Jesus will raise us on the last day. He is the bread who gives life, eternal life to those who believe. That's who Jesus is. That's what he gives. And that's how he gives it. And so eating flesh, eating Jesus' flesh, drinking his blood, you might be glad to hear, is nothing more, nothing less than believing in Jesus. But it, this image, eating flesh, drinking blood, it starts to give us an idea of what it really means to believe in Jesus. It shows us that believing in Jesus isn't simply believing that he exists. There were people who met Jesus 
saw him in the flesh, they believed he existed. They believed he was a miracle worker. They couldn't deny what he was doing. And then they rejected him. They said, he's a lunatic. They said, he's a heretic. They said, he's a liar. There are people today who read the Bible, and they even believe that it's factual and truthful. Jesus is the Son of God. He's coming back one day to judge. And then they say, I don't care. I would rather live my own way. And so they reject Jesus. There are people who say they believe in Jesus. I'm sure you know lots of people like this. But then it doesn't seem to impact their life at all. Is that the kind of faith, belief, Jesus is talking about here that leads to eternal life? It can't be. Because Jesus describes it as eating his flesh, drinking his blood, an active taking on of Jesus' death and his benefits into your life. Jesus describes, in John's Gospel, he describes the belief that saves And he describes it in lots of ways. He describes it as believing in him, not simply believing something about him. He describes it as coming to him, willingly, openly, humbly, for life and salvation. In chapter 1, he describes it as receiving him personally. And here, yet again, Jesus describes it as eating his flesh, drinking his blood. That isn't simply intellectual, is it? That isn't just saying something is true. No, instead, Jesus calls for belief that leads to a life of love and obedience. The kind of belief that says, I am willing to face suffering, persecution, and death for you, Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not simply knowing the gospel and saying, I think it's true. It's accepting everything about Jesus, coming to him as your Lord and Savior, crying out for mercy. It's giving him your whole life. It's active, personal trust in Jesus, the person, as your Lord and Savior. This is what it means to truly believe in Jesus, to eat his flesh, to drink his blood. It's more than believing bare facts. But if you do that, If you believe in Jesus the way that he says, something incredible happens. You receive that wonderful gift from Jesus, eternal life. Life knowing him now, life lasting into eternity where there is no suffering, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no sin. Look at verse 56. Jesus describes it as this, this intimate relationship with him. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Those who truly believe in Jesus are united with him to spend eternity with him. We have eternal life in him. He lives in us and we in him. This passage is about who Jesus is, what he gives, and how we receive it. Jesus is the bread of life, the one who gives eternal life to those who truly believe. 
That's who he is. That's what he gives, and that's how we receive it. And so the first question we have to ask is simple. Do I believe in him? Have I come to him for spiritual food? Have you eaten his flesh? Have you drank his blood so that you might be raised on the last day? It might seem like a crude image, but what it represents is so beautiful. That Jesus, God in the flesh, came down and his body was broken and his blood was spilled for you. Do you believe in his death for you? Do you come to Jesus and find eternal life? If you haven't and you want to, please talk to us about that. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Don't be like the crowd that day who refused to believe in Jesus. Who rejected him. What about the rest of us? What about those who have believed? Most of us here, I hope. For us, isn't this passage just one of those wonderful opportunities to give praise to God? To give praise to Him for all He's done for us. Isn't it a great encouragement? An encouragement to revel in and glory in the eternal life that Jesus offers and gives us. To praise God the Father for sending Jesus. To thank Jesus for giving us spiritual food, His flesh. To thank Him yet again that He willingly died on the cross that He might raise us on the last day. Shouldn't we praise the grace of God that He would accept us if we believe in Him? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the bread of life who gives life, eternal life to the world and to those who believe. It is who He is, it is what He gives and it's how we receive it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is bread from heaven. We praise you that he is the food that sustains us to eternal life. Father, please make us ever thankful for this. And please, Help us to revel and glory in the great gift you have given us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.